0: Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Let me tell you something. We can come in here and dance all you want to dance. And I'm for that. You can come and buck and shout and fall down and slobber and foam at the mouth and do all the stuff that we do as Pentecostals. You can do that. And I'm all right with that. We, we encourage you to do that. We, we want you to come in and encounter God. You can also come in here on Wednesday nights and and come to Passion University and get all the head knowledge until your head swells to the size of a hot air balloon if you want to. You can study the doctrines and the tenets of the faith and know them backwards and forwards and become the smartest individual in your whole city, and that's all right. In fact, I want you to know the tenets of our faith, and I want you to understand our doctrines. But hear me very carefully this morning. If we never go outside these four walls and minister to those around us, then what we have done is we have brought God and His, our experience with Him down to nothing more than an exercise in emotionalism or intellectualism, and it's a waste of time. Oh, I, say, I, I got an amen corner. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. So what we are saying is that we are determined to get outside these four walls. We are going to get engaged with our culture. We don't want to just grow a church where everybody comes to us and we want to go to them. Amen. And so here's where we're going to start. We're going to start in Numbers chapter 16, verses 42 through 48. We have determined, we have said as a core team when we begin to get together and begin to discuss starting a church that your spiritual maturity will not be judged by how much you worship. Your spiritual maturity will not be judged by how much you know. You will be determined, we will decide, uh, people will judge you and decide whether you are spiritually mature by how much you go out and impact our community. That is the deciding, the determining factor about how mature, how much of a disciple we really are, whether we're willing to get out of the stadium seats, get on the field and go to battle. That determines whether you're really spiritually mature or not. So, in Numbers chapter 16, it says this, And it came to pass that when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked towards the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord appeared, and Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, and saying, Get up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, and put fire thereon from therein from the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly into the congregation, and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded, and he ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Romans chapter 6 verse 11 says this out of the Message Bible. It says, from now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Now, let me just point some things out. I'm the master of the obvious, so let me just point this out. If you've ever played any sports at all, you know that being in position is paramount to being successful as a team. If you don't believe that, you go see Coach Arthur as soon as service is over and talk to him about the responsibilities of a point guard. When a point guard makes the pass that causes uh, someone to be open and they go in for the layup, the, the responsibility of the point guard is not to go in for the rebound, is not to charge under and block somebody out. The responsibility of the point guard is to get back on defense so that the other team won't get the missed shot, won't grab the rebound, and get a fast break the other way. A good point guard always hangs back just a little bit. He's in position. Go ask a football coach about the responsibilities of a defensive end. A defensive end usually is making his way towards his quarterback, but he has a responsibility. He's got to stay home because if he doesn't stay home, the team will seem over pursuing and they'll run a reverse or an in around and he'll be out of position and the other team will score. You've got to be in the right position. Go ask a general on the battlefield about a war, about a company of men that he gives an assignment. I want you to hold this piece of ground, and whatever you do, I don't want you to retreat it. I want you to stay there. He will tell you that them being in position is absolutely crucial. The war can be either won or lost by the fact of that one group of men or women staying in their position we 've got to learn to assume the position now I know you can 't tell it now, but when I was in high school I wrestled I wrestled at about seventy five to eighty nine pounds up until about my ninth grade year and then then i then I actually tried to gain a little weight so I could wrestle at 101 I know you can't tell that now but I did and, and one of the things that I f- found interesting about wrestling was uh, once you took somebody down or a period came to the end in the second and third period they would the, the referee would look at you and he'd flip a coin and one of the guys would be red one of the guys would be green he'd flip the coin and it had the colors on it and if you won the, the toss he would give you the choice do you want to be up or do you want to be down and, and a lot of people would want to be down because they can escape real fast and get two points and uh, one point for escape two points for reverse and, but he would do this when he was ready to start the period or start the action he'd say get into position and so you'd have to get down on both hands and put, put them like this and you couldn't move right you had to assume the position and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning now I know when I say assume the position some of you just naturally want to do this I don't know what that's all about but I'll just tell you some of you got the wrong idea that's not the position I know so I don't know where some of you come from but but that's not the position I'm talking about there's a position for you to assume All right, uh, you got to get in the right position, and that's what I read to you. But before we can talk about the position that you're supposed to be in, we got to set some groundwork and establish some facts. And here's the first one. Are you ready? This is profound. Are you ready? We are alive. Wow. Man, I traveled all the way from Virginia. Somebody tell me I'm alive. Woo! But that's the truth. Listen, the, the reality is this morning, according to the Word of God, there are basically two types of individuals on the face of the earth this morning. There are those who are alive and there are those who are dead. Okay, go ahead and check your neighbor. Put your hand under their nose. See if they're really alive. I know they're breathing, but are they alive? Because according to God's Word, depending on whether or not you've encountered God and accepted Christ as your personal Savior, determines whether you're alive or dead. The reality this morning is this, is if you've come into a life-changing, life-altering encounter with Christ and you've accepted Him into your heart and you have at some point in your past got down on your knees or was riding in your car or was walking in your bedroom and you said, God, I give my life to you, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. At that moment, you became alive but conversely or on the other side is this is also true there are people that are dead Oh, I know they're living and they're, and they're breathing and they're walking through life and they're holding down a job and they've got a nice car and they wear the right kind of clothes and they look real nice. But the truth is, is just as sure as I'm standing here, they are dead. If they've never had an encounter with Jesus and they've never said, Christ, come into my life and change me, I give you my heart and life, they are dead. And the truth is, this morning, you can come to church every weekend and you can say, sing the right worship songs every weekend and you can know all the scripture and you can quote it until you're blue in the face, but until you bow your knees and until you bow your heart and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you are dead i said it wednesday night about being pentecostal just coming into a pentecostal church doesn't make you pentecostal any more than standing in a garage makes you a corvette but the same is true about salvation you can stand in your garage all day long and honk and beep and make Vroom sounds all you want it doesn't make your car you can come to church every weekend hang out with christian fans friends, friends put a fish on your bumper wear the right christian t-shirts and until you come into a saving knowledge of jesus christ you are dead Now, our responsibility is this. Because we know that fact, we understand that as we go throughout our daily life, as we go into Walmart, as we go into Starbucks, as you hang out at the bank, as you pump your gas, you will come into contact on a daily basis, a moment-by-moment basis with two kinds of people, those that are alive and those that are dead. And it is our responsibility to discern which is which. That's our job. The second fact that we've got to establish this morning is that there is a plague out there killing people. It's called sin. You've got to understand this morning, and I know you do understand this, that the, that the enemy, Satan, the devil, his number one goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his job description. And I also understand that you know that he is very good at what he does. It is not a hard sell for me to convince you that there is a plague out there. All you got to do is flip on your TV or pick up your newspaper. I don't have to sell you on this. You understand that there's a plague out there. Don't you? It's killing folks. I, I can prove it to you. When there are people out there on television, on radio, in the newspapers, in our daily life that are, that are unashamedly promoting what they call an alternative lifestyle of homosexuality and they say it's normal and we should just accept it and tolerate it, I want to tell you something, there is a plague out there and it's killing people. When a school board determines that it is appropriate to hand out birth control pills to 6th graders, there is a plague out there and something's wrong. When, little, when men can rape little children and videotape it so they can watch it later for their own viewing pleasure, there is a plague out there and something's wrong. When when students are so desensitized and demoralized, that doesn't mean they're depressed. It means they've got no morals. When they come to the place that they're so demoralized that they can walk into their high school or walk into their college and take a gun out and shoot people that they don't even know because they're mad at the world, let me tell you something, there is a plague out there. When, when you go to every corner and you see homeless standing on the corner, there's a plague out there. When a president can so blur the lines of what sex is and what sex isn't that an entire generation will march blindly into promiscuity and not even realize it, then there's a plague out there. When we go into our hospitals and people are sick and dying and filled with disease, there is a plague out there. When pastors and congregations, pastors lead their congregations into flirting with addictions and destroying their testimony, just in the sake for the sake of quote freedom, then there's a plague out there. That's not a hard sale. There is a plague out there, and it's killing people. It's spreading. It's a fact. We can't ignore it. We can't deny it. It is a reality of our life. There is a plague out there, and people out there are dying. And we have to do something about it. Got to. Why? Because passion requires action. It's not enough for us to come in here and say, I'm a part of passion, church. Put the plate on your car. Put the sticker on your back window. Get the nice t-shirts and do nothing about it. If you don't do anything about it, you are not passionate. Because passionate, passion is an intense emotion that requires action. And if I know that now people are out there dying, it is my obligation to do something about it. It's not enough to just establish a church so we can come and find good music or good preaching or dance and shout. That won't cut it. You can go to all types of churches all over Oklahoma City and find that. That is not what this is about. We are declaring that we are passionate. There is something inside of us that is turning over that's saying, you got to do something. you got to do something. People are dying around us so we're passionate there's a position that we have to take up there is a position that we must feel in order for us to do something about what is happening around us the problem is this we want results without requirements we want results without requirements so, so what happens is, uh, let me take you back to the story real quick. Moses and Aaron get word that there's a plague out there killing people. And notice before they try to get results, they meet the requirements. The Bible says that they fall on their face before God. They go and get incense and make atonement. What are they doing? They're, they're worshiping. They're encountering God. They're getting filled with power. We don't want power. We just want the results. We don't want to operate through the requirements. There are requirements to get what we want. We just want to be able to walk out of here and save the whole world, but we don't want him to spend any time in His presence. So what we do is we come and we sleep through the Word, we yawn through worship, and then we go out of here and we wonder why we can't win anybody to the Lord. Why would they want what you got? Results with no requirements. We read in the New Testament how Peter stands up on one day and wins 3,000 people to the Lord. And we go, that's what I want. Man, I want to be able to win everybody to Jesus. And we forget about the fact that he prayed for three days, preached for three minutes, and 3,000 people get saved. And what we want to do is we want to come in here and we want to pray for three minutes and preach for three days. And nobody gets saved. And then we go, why? Because we haven't met the requirements. So I am saying to you this morning that if we are going to feel, fulfill this position, before I can position you, before I can tell you where you need to be, you have first got to get what you've got to have to be able to fill that position responsibly, which is power. That's why this Friday night is so important. We're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Friday night and praying for people to get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm scared of it. Well, do you want power or don't you? Do you want the results or not? you got to meet the requirements. The Bible declares very specifically in Acts chapter 2 that, that Jesus gave us the spirit. Why? So that we would be witnesses in all the world. The reason you're not an effective witness now is you don't have the power. You don't have the ability, the, the unction, the anointing to be out there and be what you're supposed to be. You need power. you got to have the requirements met. Before you can get in a position, you've got to meet the requirements. Now, what is our position? Our position is the exact same place that Aaron was instructed and commanded to go to. Moses looks at him and he says, go stand between the living and the dead. Here is our position. We are to stand between the living and the dead and stop the plague. That is our position. Now, our problem is, is that according to Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30, The Bible says that God is searching for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy. Hear me. Hear what he says. But I found none. What's he saying to us? He's saying you're out of position. You're not where you're supposed to be. You're not filling that gap, filling that role. You're not walking out your job description you have a position to fill your position is to stand between the living and the dead but I keep looking for you and I can't find you anywhere and people die and are destroyed and you're nowhere to be found touch somebody and say get in position God's looking for you come on tell him God's looking for you God's looking for you He wants to find you now our tendency let me tell you what our tendency is our tendency is what we do is rather than fulfilling our role, which is to get out amongst them and stand between the living and the dead, what we have a tendency to do is we want to huddle up with everybody else that's alive and survive. That's what we try to do. We, we get saved. Our, uh, one of our family members gets saved, and, and so we want to just huddle up and get, get alone with them and spend our time with them so that we survive the plague. But let me tell you what happens. Here, here is our dilemma. Are you ready? Catch this. We drive past the congregation to get to the building. Let that sink in real good. We drive past our congregation to get to our building. Every week. Now, I can prove it to you. You may me to prove it? You're not going to like me to prove it to you, but I'm going to prove it to you. Did you know that the average pastor cannot name seven unsaved friends? Why? They spend all their time with the living folks. I spend all my time with you guys. Y'all aren't unsaved, most of you. I think everybody in here probably is saved. I spend all my time with you, so I don't know anybody that's unsaved. I know a couple that I could name. That's embarrassing, but don't point fingers at me. Because did you know another reality is this? That 99.5, let that number sink in, 99.5% of all Christians will never personally win someone to Christ. Why? Because we only know each other. Because we only spend time with each other. We are out of position. We are not living where we're supposed to be living. Our instructions are clear. We're to run to the dying, not away from the dying. We're supposed to get as close to them as we possibly can. See, on that day, 14,700 people died. My question is this morning, before we step into position, before we shake off the apathy of our life, because most of us are so apathetic that it's pathetic. We don't really care that they're dying and going to hell. It doesn't bother us because my aunt saved and my uncle saved and my son saved and my daughter saved and my wife saved and and my husband saved and my my uh, cousin is saved. and, And so we don't really care. I'm preaching real hard and I understand that, but I'm telling you the truth. As long as me and mine are saved, forget everybody else. My question is, is, that, is this, while we huddle up together and we enjoy one another's company, how many people out there died this morning and went into eternity? Maybe they didn't die physically, but spiritually they died, and we didn't do one thing to stop it. We have a position to be in. We have a tendency to think that, that if we get our family inside and survive, we're okay, but I've got news for you, that was Noah's instructions, and there was only one ark. Our instructions are not Noah's instructions. Our instructions are Aaron's instructions. Get out there and stand between the living and the dead and become a bridge, become a a conduit by which they experience the power and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and their lives are changed forever. That is our role. That is our job. Our attitude has been this. Everybody go, come on, come on, because it's getting ready to get bumpy in here. Because, see, our, our thing is this. This is what we've done. We have, we have adopted this come and die in the master Caliph mentality. We come and we do services and we sing the right songs and we dance and we shout. And here's our mentality. Are you ready? They know where we are if they need us. If they really get hungry enough, they'll find us. If they get desperate enough and their life falls apart, they'll beat our doors down and they'll come and join us and, and then we'll minister to them. And so now we're saying you can only get saved at 9.30 on Sunday morning because that's the hour that we've allotted for it. And if you don't come find us, we don't have any time for you. I'm preaching real good right now. It reminds me of the story, the, the story of the woman who went to the pet store and bought the parrot because she was lonely. She goes home and she's just, the storekeeper has, has, the pet storekeeper has just convinced her that this parrot will help her with her loneliness because this parrot will learn how to talk and keep her company. So she goes home all excited. She bought the cage, she bought the $700 parrot, stuck the parrot in the cage, and all night long she starts talking to that parrot and that parrot never says anything. She gets frustrated. And so the next morning she gets up and she goes back to the pet store and she says, Man, you told me this parrot would talk. This parrot hadn't said a word. And I, this driving me nuts. And he looks at her and he said, well, did you buy the parrot? A mirror because see parrots like mirrors and they look in the mirror and they see another bird and they want to communicate with the bird and they'll talk. If you'll just buy that that parrot a bird a, a mirror, it'll talk all day long. So she buys a mirror, goes home, sticks it in the cage, and all night long she keeps waiting, 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 and the parrot never says anything. She gets mad. She goes back to the pet store the next day and says, "You told me if I bought a, a mirror, this parrot would talk." Well, he said, "Maybe I was wrong. Maybe maybe you probably you probably you didn't buy a swing, did you?" And she said, "No, I didn't buy a swing." Well, parrots like swings, man. That they, they get on that swing and they go get going and they. They get relaxed, and they'll settle down, and then they'll talk. So she buys a swing. She goes home, puts it in there with the mirror and the swing, and waits all night, and the parrot says nothing. So the next day, she gets back up, goes to the pet store owner, and says, you sold me this swing, and the parrot's still not talking. What do I need to do now? Buy him a ladder. Parrots like ladders. They go up and down the ladder. That'll really help that parrot man and get the exercise going. It'll become conversational. One of, and, and nothing happens. She goes and puts the ladder. Next day, she shows up at the pet store, and she looks at the pet owner, and she says, my parrot died. And, and she said, he just fell over and died. And the pet store owner says, I'm so sorry to hear that. Did, did that parrot ever say anything before it died? And she looked at that pet store owner and she said, he said, she said yeah. The last thing that that parrot did before it fell over dead was this. It looked at me and said, don't they sell any food down there? You'll get that in a minute. That is a picture of, our, of the church. We're full. We know everybody else out there is starving and what we want to do is add more bells, more whistles, more mirrors, more ladders and wonder why they won't come eat. There was nothing wrong with the food except one thing, the location. The, the parrots in the pet store survived. The parrots in the pet store were nursed. The parrots in the pet store were doing great. But the parrot at home died. Why? Because the food was in the wrong place. I want to tell you this morning that you can come in here and eat all you want to. But if you don't ever take any food out there, they will die. They don't need any more bells and whistles. They need food. They need food. The problem was not quality. The problem was location. And I just want to tell you this morning that we are absolutely inundated by food. We got more CDs and more books and more preaching tapes and more television shows and more radio shows than you can shake a stick at and we get fatter and fatter and fatter and we keep growing, growing, growing. We just won't share it with anybody. And they die. And so what happens? Let me tell you what happens to people that are full. Because I think we're full. Even though we know they're starving, we're full. Let me tell you what happens with full folks. Here's, they do two things. The first thing they do is they snack rather than feast. If you're really full and you sit down at a banquet table and there's a five-course meal in front of you, you'll just snack. You'll just pick at your food. Why? Because you're already full. That's what we do spiritually. We are so full and so inundated with food that when we come into God's presence, we just snack. I just get enough to tide me over to Wednesday night, and then I'll come back on Wednesday night, and give me enough to tide me over to Sunday, and and we wouldn't dare open the Bible ourselves and read it all week because we had a pastor that will prepare the food for us, and we won't have to dig it out ourselves. We'll just snack when he shows up and gives us something really good. Then we'll be satisfied. And, and but in the meantime, we're not going to do it on our own. We're just going to snack. We get the one promised loaf out a month and say, "Well, this will tide me over." We snack. And the second thing that happens is this. Oh, you're not going to like this one. But the second thing that fool people do is they begin to complain about how the food is served and prepared. When was the last time you sent a really starved man down and gave him something to eat and he goes, oh, I don't think you cooked it right? Nah. I think I'll probably. I mean, he hadn't eaten in three months, and you set him down, and, and you could give him gruel, and he'd sit there and eat it up like it was a, a five-star restaurant meal. Why? Because he's starving to death. But that's not the case with full people. What we do is we become so full and so satisfied that rather than appreciating the food, we become professional food critics. We hop from restaurant to restaurant. Come on, read between the lines. We hop from restaurant to restaurant critiquing how the food is cooked. Man, it was too hot. It was too cold. It was too long. It was too short. It was too loud. It was too soft. It was too smoky. It was too bright. It was too dark. We become professional food critics complaining about how the food is prepared, never enjoying the fact that there's a meal prepared for us. And I got news for you. It's good food. Good food. It's just that we become satisfied. I think we need to have a revelation. I think we need to have a revelation like the hog head. There's this cartoon strip that I saw one time. It shows all these hogs lined up at a trough, and they're eating. And the farmer's there, and he's got it. He's got the bucket of of whatever they eat, slop, I guess, and he's filling up that trough, and it's filled all the way to the brim. And one of those hogs looks up, sees what the farmer's doing, and he bumps his neighbor frog, hog and looks at him and says, "Have you ever wondered why he's feeding us so well?" Think about that. Why does God feed us so well? Why has God invested in us so many buildings and so many teachings and so much word and so much truth and so many praise and worship CDs? And why has God given us so many seminars and so many conferences and all this stuff? Why has God invested in us so much? You know why? He has fed us so well so that we can in turn feed others. That's what we're supposed to do. We've got to become thankful for our food. Not just on the table, but that is spread before us spiritually. And understand that the table has been spread for us, not so that we lavish it all upon ourselves and overeat, but so that we can bring others to the table too. Let me tell you this morning, I'm convinced that we can no longer celebrate the fact that the wages of sin is death just because we've been set free and because our family is saved. That's what we do. Come on now, I'm being really honest with you this morning. We see a homosexual on TV die of AIDS and we go, we, we just do it in our privacy of our own home. We wouldn't do it out in front because we've got to be all you know holy and everything. But the truth is, we in the back of your mind, you, I know what you're thinking because I think it a lot of times, got what they deserve. real quiet in this holy ghost filled house i'm being honest with you this morning we have come to the place that we are so comfortable in being saved and so comfortable with the fact that everybody we love is saved that if everybody else dies and bust hell wide open that's okay with us i can still go have my church on sunday morning and get my dance on come on folks we got to get engaged we we got, a, we got a, a, a community and a culture out here that needs to be adjusted and changed. We need to be the ones doing that. They're not going to change. It is our responsibility to go out there where they're sick and dying and provide a cure. Who's got the cure? We've got the cure. Who's got the answer? We've got the answer. Who's got the solution? We've got the solution. We keep waiting on government to do it when really it's us that we're supposed to be doing it. We're supposed to be offering them a cure for the plague, and the cure is Jesus. There's a story that I heard that should strike up urgency in our hearts. I don't think it does, but I think it should. There was an old farmer. He was sitting in his backyard, and he had one of those big old metal bathtubs. You know what I'm talking about? The, the wash tubs that we used to use, the big the tin-looking ones. And he's sitting in his backyard and he's got that thing full of water and he's sitting there in in an old chair and he's got his fishing pole with his little bobber and his cork and his worm on on it and he's got it in the tub. And his neighbor looks out in the back and sees him and begins to make fun of him and he begins to laugh at him and ridicule him. and, And this is what he said. He said, man, there ain't no fish in that tub. Why are you wasting your time like that? Hear the farmer's reply. See if this doesn't sound like us. He says this. I know there ain't no fish in there, but it's just so powerful convenient. I tell you what, going fishing's tough work. You got to get the boat out, you got to get the bait right, you got to get your pole strung right, you got to get all your equipment together got to hook it up just right, get prepared, hear me this morning, It is. I know it's convenient. I know it's powerfully convenient for you to come in here and hang out all week with folks that are saved. I know it's a lot more comfortable. I know it's a lot more fun to go hang out with people that look like you, act like you, smell like you, listen to what you listen to, know when to raise their hands, know when to buck a little bit, know when to say thank you, Jesus, and praise you, Jesus. I know that's convenient, but there's no fish in there there's no fish in there. We are not called to just huddle up and survive until Jesus comes back. We are called to come in here and encourage one another and re re and listen, most of you throughout your week deal with issues that cause you to be discouraged. So what we do is we come in here on Sunday morning, this is what's supposed to happen, and we encourage you so that when you go out those doors, you don't go find more people just like this to hang out with. You go out of here and you find people out there that don't have what you have. You hang out with them. You eat lunch with them. You work with them. You talk to them. You don't avoid them and, and get away from them. And, ooh, there's a sinner. I'm going to go. Uh-uh. No. We are called to run between the living and the dead, and stop the plague. Hold my hand. Tari, hold my elbow. This is what our position is. How much more does light need light? You can't salt, salt. Right? Uh, this is my position. If Tari's dead and Max is alive, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to get Tari over here. That's that's my role. How do I do that? i got to go hang out with Tari. I gotta go spend time with him. I gotta get to know him. I gotta love on him. I gotta provide him an answer. That is my role. Let me just tell you, I'm just gonna be straight up. I'm glad we do the activities that we do and we'll keep doing them. house. I'm glad we're going to Chester's party barn tonight. We're gonna have fun. We're gonna have a good time. But hear me, hear the commitment of my heart and hear hear the heartbeat of this church. We will not just do activities with each other. We'll cancel them all. I I am not of the mind to set up a Christian babysitting service so that we can all hang out together 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that we won't have to rub elbows with anybody that don't think like we think. Listen, we are going to do some things that's going to stretch some of you. Listen, if we show up Wednesday night and there are three of us out there doing trunk or treat, we're shutting Sunday services down. Hear me, because we ain't just going to come in here and bounce off the walls on Sundays and never go into a community that doesn't have a clue about God and try to set up a church, say, y'all, come on over here. It's just across the street. Come on, come spend some time with us. Absolutely not. We're going to go spend time with them. Or we don't have any business being a church. That's our heart. So I'm telling you as bluntly as I can tell you. You've got a role to fill. You've got a role to fill. You've got a job to do. Your job is to stand between the living and the dead and stop the plague. I can't come to your workplace and do that, but you can. I can't come to your neighborhood and do that, but you can. I can't go to your high school and do that, but you can. I can't go to your college and do that, but you can. I can't go in your carpool and do that, but you can. I can't get on your email list and do that, but you can. I can't communicate with the people you're communicating with on your MySpace page right now, but you can. And in one moment, you can turn the plague. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. That is our mandate. We want to encounter God. We want to become equipped. Why? So we can feed others. I want you to stand with me this morning. Mike said it very eloquently last week and powerfully. The streets are calling. The streets are calling. But hear me this morning. You cannot get results without first meeting the requirements. What's going to happen is all, all of how, how many of you have been in church more than 10 years? Raise your hand. And that's what I thought. We've been hanging out together a long time. It's not just overnight we're just going to suddenly wake up and go, oh, I think I need to be witnessing to somebody. That's not going to happen. If we want the results, we've got to meet the requirements. How does it happen? We get a heart for people again. We spend time in God's presence to the point that we become so full and so passionate that we are forced to do something. Let me tell you what has to happen to shake the apathy off come on folks don't look at me all spiritual and holy i know the truth most of us are apathetic we don't care oh we'll cry about the little kid in uganda that's dying starving to death they'll put the picture up on tv and we'll empty out our bank accounts to help them but we wouldn't cross the street to help the man that has no clue how to find salvation to save our life he knows where i go to church i got a bumper sticker on my car man if he wants jesus he can come come on Come on, let's get real. There's a plague out there. It's your job to stop. Your job. My job. Our job. Father, I pray that you would shake us. Shake us. My prayer this morning, God, is that you'd give us your heart for people. My whole family's saved, God. But my neighbors aren't. My whole family is saved, and I'm so thankful. But the people I talked to this week at Starbucks aren't. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would stir up a spirit of compassion in us again. That we wouldn't be satisfied with just coming and hanging out together in this place on Sunday morning, hoping that others will join us. But Father, as one of the core values of this church and as us, as a part of this church of our lives God, I pray that you would allow us to engage those around us. That's my heart this morning, God. God, I pray that we could change. We might not be able to change the statistic across the nation, but God, I pray for this body, this 99.5% rule would be shattered. And we would be able to say 99.5% of our body has won someone to the Lord. And it wouldn't be an exception. It would be normal for us to win folks to you. And God, I just come against this spirit that says we will just try to get them to come to church with us and then they'll get saved and we'll print out really cool looking stuff and then they'll want to be part of it. No, God, I pray we'd win them where they are. We'd win them at the bank. We'd win them at the drive-thru. We'd, we'd win them on our porch. We'd win them in our neighborhood while we're walking. We'd win them at the gym when we're working out. We would win them wherever we go. God, I pray that we would be intentional about it and we would become bold about it and we begin to tell people again that we've got the answer. God, I pray for those of us in the room like me who have been saved longer than I've been lost. help us God I've discovered that those that get saved it's not hard to get them to want to go out and win folks to you they found themselves in such a bad place and now all of a sudden their whole life has turned around they want to win everybody it's those of us that have been saved longer than we were lost we've forgotten what it's like to be lost so, God, I pray that you would stir up a spirit of urgency in us, a spirit of compassion. God, I pray that it would start Monday when we go to work, and Tuesday when we go to school. I pray that it would happen on Wednesday when we gather for Trunk or Tree, but I pray that we wouldn't regulate it to or relegate it to just a church function, but that we would become a people who are in position so that we can stop the plague and change those around us. So will you just join me in praying this? You can pray it out loud if you want to. You can pray it quietly if you want to. It can just be between you and God, but I've been praying this all week long in my truck as I've been driving. Are you ready for my prayer? God, give me your heart. God, give me your heart. Give me your heart for those that are broken. Give me your heart for those that are devastated. Give me your heart for those that look like they've got it all together that really don't. Give me a spirit of discernment so I can tell who's alive and who's dead. Position us, O God. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Mike Potter, would you come here just a second? It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.